Uh, we are glad that we get to worship with you today. I'm going to thank Micah and Emma and send them into the other room to worship with their mom today. Uh, so thank you guys. Okay, go on. We rehearsed that. We were very careful about it. You can tell. Um, I want to welcome you this morning. We are glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. If you're visiting uh, on our YouTube channel, we're especially glad uh, that you're with us and we, uh, we are praying that we will be an encouragement to you. Um, I have a couple of announcements to share with you today. As promised, we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about what our phase two uh, phase, our next steps are going to look like. And so uh, I want to share some announcements with you and I'll bring them up here on the screen. Um, first is a reminder that uh, we have some online small groups that are going on and our Wednesday adult class. Those are both done over Zoom. Uh, the small groups right now are uh, led by Don and Nancy on Monday nights. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, the Burrises are leading a small group. Uh, and Bob Lubin is doing a small group for men uh, also on Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, uh, we just wrapped up uh, the book of James two weeks ago, and this week we started uh, the book of Job, and so I'd invite you to be a part of our classes and our small groups. I've found them to be very encouraging. Uh, it's great to see the faces of members of our congregation, um, and so I want to invite and encourage you to be involved in those. Um, we also uh, want to let you know about our phase two plans, as I said before, and uh, so before I make the other announcements that are up here on the screen, I want to let you know that we have uh, put together a letter that we intend to share with the congregation. We're going to send this out via email uh, tomorrow, um, but I want to read it to you now. Uh, these are our plans and our reasoning for uh, the plans that we have for phase two. So bear with me. It's written as a letter. Uh, it doesn't read quite well out loud compared to how it reads if you're reading it in person. Uh, but this is, this is from uh, myself and from the elders and from Kyle and from our reopening team. Uh, so here it is. As you likely know, Yamhill County and the surrounding counties have begun to enter phase two of the Oregon State Reopening Plan. As we enter into this phase, and in the weeks leading up to it, the elders and our reopening team have discussed how phase two might change our current arrangements and gathering opportunities. If you've been following the news, you may have heard the numbers 100 and 250 put out as caps on meeting sizes. These are consistent with the initial guidance we were receiving. On Friday, June 5th, before any county was officially moved into the Phase 2 guidance, Oregon's Faith Liaison Team sent out an email to clarify that guidance for faith communities. I'm sharing the exact wording that was sent to me. Faith gatherings in approved Phase 2 counties are now permitted to increase in size. The maximum size of your gatherings will depend on the space you use. Requirements state that 35 square feet of space is needed for each person within the room you are gathering. The overall size of the gathering should not exceed 250 people. Some of the additional requirements for groups of this size to meet include maintaining singular entrances and exits that maintain a consistent flow of traffic, full sanitizing of all surfaces between any meetings that occur in the same space over the course of seven days, and regardless of meeting size, maintaining a six-foot distance between participants, family groups, and attending parties. There are also many other advised, encouraged, and recommended guidelines that I've read personally, including the passing of trays being eliminated, wearing face masks in the process of worship, uh, or when singing, some of these come from the CDC, some come from the state, some come from Christian publications, and some come from other ministers of congregations who are navigating the same waters we are. As I shared with our reopening team a plan that would take into consideration the safety guidelines of our state and the most common wisdom of other sources I'd consulted, we agreed that the practical reality of meeting at the building at this time would not facilitate fellowship community, and the enrichment of the body, and anything less than these measures would not take seriously the health and well-being of our members. A congregation of Jesus Church serves many purposes, but we believe two of the most important 
are facilitating the spiritual growth of its members and the active pursuit of sharing the kingdom of heaven with the community it is a part of. We believe God is working in our times of worship, our small groups, and our opportunities for service towards those goals right now. We also recognize that there is a desire for more opportunities for in-person meeting. We've been verbally encouraging members who can do so to meet in small groups in homes, and we know that several have chosen to do just that. Lorinda and I have made an open invitation to several folks to share in our family's time of worship, and I know that others have done the same. We know, however, that something more coordinated could be of help to many. So we've approached several members of the congregation who might be willing to host groups ranging from 15 to 20 in their homes on Sunday mornings. While many of these restrictions that apply to larger groups would still apply to these smaller groups, the ability to manage and navigate them on a smaller scale is significantly improved. At this time, we have identified members who would be willing to host these groups in their homes. If you are interested in being a part of one of these groups, or if you are interested in hosting one of these groups, we would ask you to email the office at the email address office at newbergcofc.com to request to be matched or to request to host a group. While we cannot guarantee that there will be enough space at this time to fulfill everyone's request, we will continue to pursue additional meetings of various sizes to accommodate those who would like to be a part of a Sunday morning home group. These are the guidelines we have asked home group leaders to follow. Maintain an attendance record for each person that attends your home group. When attenders arrive, have the hand sanitizer provided by the congregation available for their immediate use. Encourage attenders to use the sanitizer on their arrival. Encourage attenders to wear a mask, especially while singing. Attenders are encouraged to bring their own mask, but the congregation will provide masks for each home group to share with those who don't. If a member of your home group reports symptoms of COVID-19 between Sundays, contact the members of your home group to communicate possible exposure as well as notifying the church office. Maintain good social distancing practices in your home during Sunday service. The state's guidance is six feet of distance between individuals who do not live together. If you have hosted people who are not in your home group in your home over the course of the week, please make sure to sanitize surfaces between their visits and the arrival of home group attenders. Specific instructions on cleaning and sanitizing can be found on the CDC's website. We ask that those who with underlying health risks or in sensitive groups avoid participating in these home groups for the time being. We anticipate following this step until our county has moved to phase three or the guidance changes to allow for us to resume meeting in the building both safely and in a way that allows us to facilitate fellowship, community, and enrichment of the body. We anticipate being able to do this by the first Sunday of September, but will move sooner if things allow for us to do so. Over the last several months, we've emphasized the importance of providing for the immediate physical needs of our congregation, but I want to make sure that this is communicated as well. We love you, and our greatest concern is the spiritual well-being of each and every member of our congregation and community. If you are struggling spiritually, please make sure to communicate that with the elders and ministers of our congregation. While we are actively seeking opportunities to touch base with our members, we want to make sure that no one falls through the cracks. We've spent a lot of time talking about what these, these plans would look like, and I want to let you know that our, our goal is to be back together in the building sooner rather than later. Uh, but we're being cautious, as I said in our first communication about all of this. We want to make sure that we don't move too soon, but we also want to make sure that we are doing what we can to facilitate the personal spiritual growth of every member of our congregation. Um, Kyle has done some footwork on finding hosts for these home groups. We think that this is a, a biblical way of meeting. Meeting in one another's homes was exactly what the first century church did. It's what we read about in the book of Acts. It's what we read about in the letters that Paul writes to the different churches throughout the entire world. Uh, it, is, it is what we're striving to do at the moment. And so I want to remind you again, 
if you want to be a part of a home group, a home church, we are inviting you to email the office. The email address is office at newbergcofc.com. And if you email there saying that you would like to attend, as well as providing us information on how many would attend with you, uh, your family members, we are going to do our best to make sure that everyone who wants to be a part of a home group, and we hope that's most of our congregation, will have a home group to be involved in. Now, this will not happen next Sunday, but our hope is to have at least one or two home groups meeting starting the Sunday after next. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time to coordinate getting people into home groups. And so uh, starting this week, we ask that if you would like to be involved in a home group or you would like to host a home group, that you email the office and we will do our best to get you set up with a home group as soon as possible. Um, this is this is something that the elders and, and Kyle and I have prayed a lot about, uh, something that our uh, reopening team has been praying about and discussing for several weeks uh, in anticipation of entering into phase two. Um, and we know that this is not uh, what most of us think of as the ideal, but I think that in many ways, if we embrace meeting in one another's homes, that we will be blessed by it. And I believe that it's definitely in the best interest of the health of the vast majority of our congregation to pursue this at this time. Um, we thank you for your patience. We know that communication can't possibly come fast enough. I find myself frustrated with uh, communication from the state because it changes on a daily basis. I think sometimes their communication comes too fast. Uh, and we're trying, we promise, we are trying to make sure that the communication comes when we have the clearest picture of what we're going to be doing next. Uh, thank you for putting up with all of the, the stuff that we have to kind of lead with this morning. Uh, we're going to move now into our time of worship, uh, and we have, we have our scripture reading uh, and then our sermon. And so uh, remind you again, if you are interested in hosting or attending a home church, email the office. And finally, uh, our virtual VBS is coming up. There is now a registration online. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can email the office, you can ask me, you can ask Kyle, and we will uh, give you uh, updated information. Norma is the master of all of this, and she'd be fantastic at explaining to you what our VBS is going to look like. Uh, but start registering now, uh, August 17th through 21st are the dates. With that said, uh, let's go ahead and have our scripture reading this morning. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the loving of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember? The five loaves for the five thousand. How many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand. And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So uh, Micah did our scripture reading this morning. I want to thank him for that. And then I also want to tell you uh, that I, uh, I really appreciate the birthday wishes that I've been given this morning. Uh, I woke up this morning uh, and I already had messages on my phone. I already had uh, thank, uh, happy birthday wishes on Facebook. And it was a very encouraging way to start a Sunday morning. 
oftentimes Sundays can be uh, a little hectic when we're doing our live stream. Uh, this morning was very refreshing, and uh, I just I felt very blessed uh, by the birthday wishes I received from all of you. And so thank you so much. Uh, but that's enough about me. Um, this morning we are talking about uh, yeast and bread. And I don't know about you, but uh, my Facebook feed over the course of this quarantine has been absolutely filled with people uh, talking about, bragging about, uh, discussing, looking for advice on, uh, and and just generally obsessed with sourdough starters. Uh, they all have these these jars that they're keeping on their counter and they're feeding them and they're burping them and they're doing all these other things that I thought you only did with babies. Uh, but apparently you do it with bread dough as well. Uh, and so I've been thinking a lot about yeast and I've been thinking about, uh, the process of making bread. I haven't made any bread myself. Uh, but I happen to be very fortunate in that my wife, who is a fantastic cook, uh, has the ability to bake bread and do it quite well. Uh, and so as I was thinking about bread, I, I thought about the Pharisees and Jesus' explanation and all the times in scripture that the, the term yeast or leaven uh, is used, the idea of an agent that goes into a, a dough that causes it to rise and spread. Um, and I got the itch to ask my wife to make some bread for a sermon illustration for us this morning. And so I want to share a video with you that I put together. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, what, what bread might teach us about our spiritual walk. Uh, so here's our video. What I find most impressive about bread is how little actually goes into making a good loaf of bread as far as the actual ingredients. Now, it's a complicated and and uh, time-consuming process. Uh, we don't have a sourdough starter. We had a 24-hour bread recipe that Lorenda uh, used for this, and it, it took 24 hours to uh, let the bread rise, to... Uh, let it rest before we ended up baking it to go through the whole process of uh, folding it proper, doing the little slicing on top. And I'm really butchering the whole process of making bread here. Lorenda is uh, the expert on this. I'm the guy that does like the grilling and the smoking and all of that. Uh, Lorenda uh, put this together and, and as I watched, as I thought about all the process, it, it seems like maybe the thing that we take for granted is is the yeast these tiny little organisms that when they're activated uh, move through the entire dough they they consume the sugars and they create little pockets of air and you can watch the the dough rise and you can see how it becomes uh, a larger mass than it was before and it's what gives the bread its distinctive flavor different types of yeast have different flavors to them and different qualities and of course the flour that you use matters, and, and sugars and waters and all of this, the ingredients that go into bread matter, 
but the yeast is what does the vast majority of the work of making bread what we love, uh, giving it the qualities that we most appreciate about it. The Bible talks so much about yeast and about bread. It's, it's uh, one of the most interesting things about scripture is that bread becomes such a symbol. And uh, if you think about it, it's appropriate because bread is common to almost every culture throughout the world. Bread of different types. It's something that we can all relate to. We can all think of uh, the texture of bread and the flavor of bread and the process of making bread. It's one of the, the oldest culinary art forms is bread making. And every culture has their own bread and every culture has their own history with it. And, and it, bread is significant on so many levels. It's interesting to me that one of the one of the most well thought of uh, messages in Scripture, one of the most uh, Im- immediate draws to people's minds, is the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes. Matthew chapter fifteen, verse thirty-two through thirty-four. It says, "Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days.'" And have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And a few small fish. Now here's the the problem. Uh, Seven loaves of bread is nowhere near enough to feed a multitude. Not in my mind. And thinking about bread, again, you know, a a loaf this size took about 24 hours to bake, uh, you know, from start to finish with the rising process. And I I just imagine that the disciples are thinking, well, Jesus, this is not going to work out here. You want to feed this multitude. We, We can't bake enough bread in the next 15 minutes and they're already hungry. We can't bake enough bread in the next 24 hours and they're already hungry. But Jesus' solution is really simple. He takes the seven and a few small fish and this is what we read. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks... He broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. I want you to think about this for just a moment. The the, the kind of uh, quick and, and easy exit that we have here. Jesus takes seven loaves and fish and feeds 4,000 men plus women and children. And then he just goes. Jesus provides and then leaves. It would have been really easy for Jesus to say, well, I'm done teaching now. They can go. I'm, I'm done with this process. We don't necessarily need to keep everyone around for the time being. Let's just send them on their way to eat. Because Jesus doesn't teach after this. But Jesus chooses to feed these people. He chooses to take something small and make it enough for the entire crowd. And only Jesus could have done this. Only Jesus has the ability to take these simple, ordinary elements, these fish and the, the, the bread, and feed an entire multitude. And the story moves from Jesus and his disciples to just Jesus leaving. Notice that the disciples don't get in the boat with him. I, I've missed this several times before. Jesus gets in the boat And as he does so, he leaves the disciples behind. And in 16, verse 1 through 3, this is the result of that. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. This is when Jesus reaches the other side. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather. 
for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus, alone with these Pharisees and Sadducees, is asked for a miracle. Now, remember, he just fed the multitude with fish and loaves. With a small amount of fish and loaves, he feeds the multitude. This is a miraculous sign. And yet he comes to the other side of of his sailing trip. And when he arrives, they ask him for a sign. The Pharisees and the Sadducees ask him for a sign. And you have to wonder, were they waiting there to ambush Jesus? Did Did they rush to that next point? Or were they not a part of the crowd? It seems like... They, they would not ask for a sign if they had just witnessed what Jesus had done. But they ask for a sign. And Jesus tells them the sign that they'll receive. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Jesus has just fed a crowd, and that that ends with him leaving the crowd. And then he arrives, uh, the crowd didn't ask him for food, by the way. I want to remind you of that. The crowd doesn't ask Jesus for food. The disciples point out that the crowd is hungry, and Jesus provides for them. The Pharisees demand a sign, and Jesus tells them, "I, I don't have a sign for you. You can't even read the signs of the times. I don't, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign that will be given to you is the sign of Jonah. And then he leaves them. He gives the crowd a sign and leaves. He fails to give or chooses not to give the Pharisees and the Sadducees a sign. And then he leaves. And then we find Jesus back with his disciples. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Now we can, we can oftentimes uh, kind of bag on the disciples and feel like, Hey, you guys don't get it. You know, how, how could you possibly not understand what Jesus is talking about here? To be fair, though, think about the two scenes that we've just read. On the one hand, Jesus feeds the multitude literal bread. Then... On the other hand, he has this private encounter with the Pharisees and Sadducees where they they, uh, disagree with one another. Well, really, uh, they demand a sign and Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. And then the disciples find themselves hungry. They forgot to bring bread. And Jesus starts talking about yeast and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples weren't present for the conversation with the Pharisees and Sadducees, but clearly the conversation that Jesus had with them is weighing on his mind. It's what he's just thought about. And it's this string of events. Sometimes we break them up and we forget that they're all being told as a connected story. They're all uh, linked to one another. And Jesus has identified the characters in this story. There's the crowds, the multitudes that need feeding. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees who can't even feed themselves. They can't even recognize the signs of the times for themselves. How are they going to interpret those signs for the people? They can't provide food. And then there's the disciples. And the disciples haven't learned discernment yet. They're, they're working on it, but they haven't learned discernment. They're still confused about the things that Jesus teaches. They're confused about the things Jesus says to them. They're confused about the metaphors that Jesus uses even. And this is Jesus' response as they are confused. He says this, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves and for the 4,000 and, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so we read this and we think, okay, well, Jesus is, is maybe a little harsh on them. He, he's, you of little faith. Do you not understand? Do you not perceive? Why are you talking about bread? If you need bread, I'll give it to you. But that's not what I'm talking about. The thing I'm most concerned about is your response to these Pharisees and Sadducees. How you, how you approach the leaven that they've given. Jesus is the ultimate moral authority. Jesus is the, the king of kings. If anyone understands the law, especially in the book of Matthew, this is made clear. If anyone understands the law and how to use the law and how the law helps people to live righteously, it's Jesus. Nobody has a better understanding of the law than Jesus. Nobody under, understands the heart of God better than Jesus. And throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus is constantly warning against the false teachings of the Pharisees and clarifying the heart of God in his own teaching. Jesus is making a real strong statement in these passages here. Matthew, uh, as he, he expands on the story of the feeding of the multitude, is telling us something about Jesus and who he is. At the beginning... We have the story of the feeding of the multitude and Jesus multiplies bread and gives it to the entire crowd and everyone is satisfied with it. But before he feeds them, they're unsatisfied because whatever they've been given before has left them hungry. Whatever they've been given before was insufficient for their needs. And maybe what they brought into the situation was the real tragedy. What they brought into the situation was insufficient for their needs. But what Jesus gives them is sufficient. In fact, it's beyond sufficient. It is satisfying. It is filling. Did they not have teachers before Jesus? Were there not people in Israel who taught on the law? Well, there were, and they were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And most people at the time of Jesus were unsatisfied with the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It, it, didn't, it didn't rise. The dough, the bread that they were making, failed to come to its full satisfying, uh, satisfying uh, uh, end result. It was disappointing. And in some ways, it was worse than disappointing. Because the Pharisees had no discernment about what it was that they were supposed to be teaching, because they couldn't look at the world around them and understand and interpret what God was doing, they often led to harm for people. Notice that Jesus talks about a storm when he's discussing the signs in the sky that the, the Pharisees can see, the, the red uh, at night and the red and threatening in the morning. Well, we know it's going to storm. It's going to rain. This is going to be a threatening day. The Pharisees couldn't prepare people for the danger that was to come. They couldn't prepare people for, for the tragedies of life. Their teaching was insufficient for people to feel equipped and satisfied in approaching the trials and tribulations of humanity. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, it's not that the Pharisees and Sadducees weren't teaching the law. There were some ingredients in their recipe that were good ingredients. The law, as Paul tells us, was good. It was insufficient to save man, but it was good. What the Pharisees had mixed in with the law, it was bad yeast. It never rose. And it left people unfulfilled and unsatisfied. See, they, they wanted to have the law and their own way. They wanted to have God's commands 
and these other things here, and the additives that they put into the recipe of the law, they left so much to be desired. And Jesus is warning his disciples here, look, be careful who you trust. Be careful who you put your faith in. Be careful whose opinion you latch on to. It can't save you. If it's bad yeast, it can't save you. It won't fill you. It won't bring you to satisfaction. I think maybe the most important part for us to understand is that eventually the disciples understand. Then they understood he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. There are a lot of people in our world who want to teach you what they believe is true. There are a lot of people who want their voices to be heard, people who want to speak about uh, what they think God wants for you. There are a lot of people who do so without understanding, without wisdom. They can look around the world and they can see things that are going on and say, you know what, I think, uh, I think that this is the appropriate way to respond to this situation. And sometimes they might be right about a thing like the weather. They might be right about a uh, a particular uh, singular issue. But they can't interpret what life is supposed to look like and fulfill and satisfy you the way that God can. There's a, a point later on in scripture where we are told that even if the apostles or an angel from heaven should teach something other than the gospel that we have heard, that we should disregard it completely. That, that we should focus on the teachings of Christ, on, on his, his magnificent gospel, the good news of the salvation of all humanity, the salvation of all those who would put their trust in him, of the restoration of all things through him of the reconciliation of man to God, of the reconciliation of humanity to one another. If if someone comes along and teaches something other than that, we should disregard it. And here's the deal. The problem with the Pharisees was not that they didn't know the law. The problem with the Sadducees was not that they didn't understand the Torah. It was that they didn't understand how to use it properly, and they had created a system in which it was the Torah... God's will, and something else. And that something else will always spoil the dough. It will always ruin the bread. In the New Testament, we are warned over and over and over again about avoiding false teachers. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these these common habits of the false teachers that existed in New Testament times. And the truth is, many of the same things that that Paul and Peter and James and the, the early church fathers dealt with are the same kind of things that come up over and over and over again throughout history. And they've given us tools. They've given us instruction that comes from the Father to help us avoid the bad yeast that wants to really cause cause the bread to collapse, to never come to its full potential. It's interesting because Jesus tells us that the bread is his body. But then we are also told that we, the church, are his body. which means we're bread, (laughs) which means that we are a dough. We are something that is being shaped and formed and baked and and turned into a beautiful and delicious uh, uh, final product 
something fantastic and wonderful to behold. But the problem is, so often in history, people have failed to become the bread, the body of Christ, because they've they've started with bad yeast, or they've allowed bad yeast to become a part of the dough. And then they've allowed it to run rampant. And I want to I want to remind us that there are things within the church that that are universal that are always abiding. There are core truths that we believe that were taught by our Lord and Savior, taught by his most faithful disciples. And then there's some other stuff. There are things that other people have pulled into the church and they've married their Christianity to these other things. And they failed to be the body of Christ. Because we can either follow the recipe of Jesus to its full satisfaction. We can either take on the elements that Christ has, has planted in our hearts, allow his yeast to permeate the rest of us. Or we can say, I want some Jesus and something else. The second one will bring us no satisfaction. This morning, I want to tell you the good news. There is a very simple way to know whether or not a teaching is good yeast or bad yeast. This is the good yeast. There is one God, and that God loves you. And he loves you so much that he has pursued your redemption through history. He has pursued it by sending his son into the world, God in the flesh, and that That God in the flesh, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He lived a perfect life here on earth. He walked this earth towards a destiny, a a path that was laid out from the beginning of time for him to be able to redeem humanity. And that path led to the cross. And it was on that cross that Jesus died. And we could leave the story there and it would be a tragic and horrific ending. But he was buried. And his tomb was found empty. Because he rose from the dead. Now, the reason that's significant is that you and I have sinned. And we are told that our sin deserves death. That our sin leads to death. That the wages of sin are death. Which means that from the moment we started sinning, we had a death sentence placed on us. But Jesus has conquered death. And in conquering death, he has given us the opportunity to participate in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that we might triumph over death alongside him. We do that through the waters of baptism, symbolically going into the tomb with him, symbolically being raised with him, but in reality, in spiritual reality, in in true reality, participating in the same death, the same burial, and the same resurrection that he had. And through him, and only through him, can we experience eternal life. Full satisfaction. Now, eternal is not just a length of time. Eternal is a quality. The quality of eternal life is the life that God intended for you. Living in a way that embraces who God created you to be. And living in a way that honors him fully. And so this morning, I want to encourage you with this. If if you hear a teaching that doesn't match that, If you hear uh, someone adding on to that gospel and and taking away the fact that this, this death was not just for you, but for all of humanity to give us access to the Father and eternal life, then it's not the gospel of Christ. 
we are, we are called to proclaim this gospel. We are called to live this gospel. This is a gospel that is built on good yeast. It is a gospel that when, when it sets into us, spreads through us and makes us so much more than we would be otherwise. And the risk of bringing something else into that gospel is that we diminish it. That we make it less than it should be. Avoid the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Avoid the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Avoid the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Not just because they're Pharisees and Sadducees, but because they don't know the truth that Christ knows. That's the gospel. And I invite you this morning to live a gospel that is yeasty, that is full of leaven, that is going to cause you to rise. It is going to make you so much more than the, the, the flour and water and, and sugar and whatever else goes into making bread. It's the yeast that matters. It's the thing that's alive. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are good and you are faithful. And there are those out there who would tell us uh, untruths. There are those out there who don't even understand the things that they are teaching. And because they proclaim it so loudly, it can often cause us to be distracted. It can, it can draw our attention away from where it should be. And you tell us to avoid those teachings, to avoid loud, noisy voices of people who simply can't read the signs of the times, who don't have understanding. And so we lean on you. We lean on you to provide us wisdom, to provide us discernment, to speak clearly to us the fullness of the life that you desire to give us. And then we pray, Father, that we can share that with others, not by adding in things that don't, don't need to be there, but by embracing the yeasty goodness that your Son has passed on to us, the leaven of his blood, the leaven of his teaching, the divine truth that comes from him. It's all this that we pray in his name. Amen. And so it's appropriate that coming out of a whole sermon on bread and yeast, that we are now moving into a, a time where we are going to participate in the cup and the bread. Now, of course, the bread that we use is unleavened bread, uh, but it's important for us to remember that this is bread. This is a symbol of the body of Christ. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it over here in just a second to Corey, who's going to lead us in our thought. But I want to encourage you to remember that this bread is the body of Christ, but we also are the body of Christ. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he calls us to be the bread of life as well by being his body. Let's hear from Corey this morning. Good morning, church family, and greetings from the Craig family of Aldersgate Lane. Uh, this morning, I'm going to bring our thoughts uh, right now that we're centered around the table uh, on the symbolism of the blood and the body of Christ. Uh, my kids often ask why we take the grape juice and why do we eat the bread that tastes like styrofoam. Uh, uh, but it's because of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for our lives, which is so important to Christians. Um, even back then, they didn't quite know what they were doing, I would guess. And that's why Jesus, uh, in Luke, he said, in Luke twenty-two seventeen, 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then he goes on to talk about the Son of Man being betrayed by Judas, and it was all part of God's plan uh, for our salvation. So we oftentimes have bad things that happen in our country, in our world, uh, but if we can always find the good thing to take away from it. One thing we talked about in the Wednesday night class a couple of weeks ago is the men and the women who crucified Christ, they thought they were doing their will. They thought that they were killing Jesus because they hated him and they didn't want him to be a king. Uh, but that was God's plan. And that's the only reason that we're doing this today is because Jesus, uh, that he died for us and gave us eternal, the chance of eternal salvation. So uh, will you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, God, we're so thankful for this day that you've given us, uh, not to be together, but to be together in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Father, all across the world today, we are taking this bread and we are thinking about your son and the life that he gave up for us. Father, thank you for being willing to let him go to the cross and for Jesus uh, putting aside his wants and, and going to the cross for us. He knew it was your ultimate plan for salvation. So please bless this bread and help us to think about the, the body that was broken for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We will now take the of the fruit of the vine, which is to proclaim the death of Christ. Uh, my kids see this and they're like, it's just grape juice. But uh, to believers, we believe this is Christ's blood. And by drinking of this fruit of the vine, we are proclaiming the death of Christ. That we believe that he did die and three days, three days later he rose again uh, to be in heaven with God. So will you bow with me again as we take of the fruit of the vine? Our Father in heaven, God, we're so thankful for your Son and the sacrifice and the blood, the perfect blood that was sacrificed on the cross for us. Father, we pray that we might do this in a worthy manner. Uh, we are praying that we might be better Christians every day and be more like Christ every day sacrificing uh, at times that we don't want to and always always thinking of others before ourselves in your son son's name we pray amen
that seal the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Send me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. So thank you all for being with us this morning. Uh, we are so glad that we had the opportunity to worship with you today, uh, that we uh, were together again in spirit, if not in person. Um, we are so thankful for uh, the opportunity to be involved in your lives. And today, especially, uh, it's been a year since uh, I came and interviewed with Newberg. And so today is kind of an anniversary besides just being my birthday. Uh, and, and in many ways, that makes this even more a special occasion for me. And uh, I think Mike and Emma are making faces because they realize that they're on camera and they can see themselves right there instead of looking at the camera up here. Anyway, I'm embarrassing my kids. We love you all. Uh, I'm going to go uh, cook some meat for Hi. my family. Have a fantastic week, and God bless you each and every one. We love you guys so much. And it came in time.